You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. This week, we're joined by Landon Ainge with Assure Syndicates. We're going to be talking about the unique role he plays and how many alternative managers use special purpose vehicles to build a track record as a first step towards a fund. Enjoy an incredibly practical session. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I saw some new faces, so a little bit of clarity. We do the breakout room like you just experienced to network a little before the main event starts. Um, avoid awkwardly staring at myself and Isla for no reason for 10 minutes while everybody trickles in. But for the rest of the event, here's what you can expect, what's on tap. First, we're going to ever so briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. And then we're going to do 15 minutes fireside chat with the expert of the day, Landon Ainge. And then we're going to do two breakout rooms, very similar to what you just did, give you a chance to meet new people, discuss the topic. We will give you a topic. Why do we do this? Because, well, this is what the event is. Diffuse Tap is where you are right now. It's always pretty much the same format. So 45 minutes of our time together is networking in small groups of four or five. Kind of, we typically get three, four or five continents represented every week. So it really, and it's alternative GPs, LPs, or just folks in that space. So it gives you a chance to meet interesting people and just serendipity to do what serendipity does. The other 15 minutes, we do have an expert to come on every week to talk about something we think would be of interest, hence Landon. And just so you know, we do have, um, we have started doing in real life events, versions of these. Um, the next one is in Chicago on July 13th. So if you're in that area on July 13th, definitely don't be shy about popping over and saying hello. Diffuse, what is Diffuse? Um, what we do is we incubate alternative funds. We find what we think are really interesting strategies, really compelling individuals with really killer um, investment DCs, and we create a fund around them. Um, or we do it in-house if we have the expertise. We're very heavy in digital assets, but also um, one of our funds is Aaron Capital, which is a public sector entity litigation finance fund. So if you know anybody actively deploying into litigation finance, that's one. Another one we just launched here about ooh, uh, a month ago exactly. is Diffuse Digital 30. Exactly, a month ago, right? Uh, Diffuse Digital 30 is the first institutional grade index fund. And the way we're launching that, um, we're just kind of getting out of the gate right now. So the first 10 million or so in the fund actually gets profit share in the fund for the lifetime of the fund. So a nice little kicker for the people taking the early risk. So with that said, our speaker of the day is Landon Ainge. Um, Landon, do you, and you're probably muted, fair warning. Uh, do you want to do a quick introduction to yourself and what you're up to over at Assure Syndicates? Uh, sure. Yes. So I'm Landon Ainge. Uh, it's always the hardest part explaining what I do, but I'm basically a three-sided marketplace where I commit to help founders, VCs, and angels uh, connect. So I help founders for free if they can convince me they're ready for seed and series A round of capital. Uh, I help VCs see custom deal flow for their thesis, only the deals that I'm willing to invest in. Um, and I'm never taking a lead position. Uh, and then I'm helping angels, once terms have been set with a VC, get access to those same deals on a deal-by-deal -deal basis on zero and 10 terms. Um, and I customize the deals that each angel sees based on what their passions or interests or thesis are. So um, I'm basically a unpaid broker in the space um, and I truly believe in the ecosystem. So I focus generally on founders between the coasts and I'm helping recruit individual angels and teach them about angel investing and help VCs that are, you know, truly conviction-based lead investors that want to take early bets on great founders. So 
That's a little bit of what I do all over in space. And I use special purpose vehicles to do it. Well, we're excited to have you. And actually, we've got a lot of signups today and quite a few in attendance as well. And everybody's excited to kind of get a feel for this whole deal by deal, deal by deal, deal. Um, I think one of the burning questions we could probably start off with is what is the purpose of kind of building a track record using SPVs if you are a first-time GP? Um, what is the purpose behind that? Why would somebody opt out of starting a fund from day one and instead uh, kick into SPV mode and then run individual deals that way? That's a great question. And to be honest, I should probably provide some context. Like I work, I was, I convinced Assure, who's the largest SPV administrator to hire me. And so I get context in watching and coaching and helping people that are doing their first syndicates or emerging managers that want to start funds. And that track record or that demonstration of your ability to get allocation of your ability to build relationships with the founders and utilizing deals that fit what will be your future thesis um, is a really effective tool to build relationships with future LPs. Um, so I find family offices are all based on trust. And so while it seems great to say, I have this really impactful thesis, um, I would say it's really important to say if you can show three deals that fit exactly what your thesis are and you can develop that trust, getting someone to write a larger LP check after they've written three to four smaller individual checks and deals that you've done uh, is really an effective tool to prepare and build that track record for those that maybe were in junior positions or those that are pivoting from investment banking or shifting from other industries. It's funny. I like to say that uh, uh, raising money is very habit forming in the sense yeah. that when you write one check, it's, it's the second check always comes a little bit easier, especially, you know, if you do what you say you're going to do. Um, but, you know, saying that you mentioned using the SPVs and then you kind of eventually get to that fund. How one thing we always are worried about is how closely it needs to match. So if you, if you're writing 50 K checks, in seed stage and then you're going to do a fund and now you're writing million dollar checks. Like that's a pretty different strategy. So how do you see that transition working? What does that look like? And then how, what are your advice to people going down that route? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, typically uh, Joe asked a question here, so I'll address that while answering yours. Uh, what threshold of doing an SPV is, is appropriate, right? You have to make sure that you're doing, you know, an SPV, that's large enough so the cost of administration isn't impactful. Now, a sure can do an SPV around as low as $50,000 for a cost somewhere between like $4,000. So that's pretty high when you look at an expense ratio, but comparatively low to what you would see in the industry. But, you know, as you're thinking about building a track record, you kind of need to start somewhere. So if you're only going to be able to get $100,000, that's where you start. Um, obviously, the relationship, if you're showing that you're a conviction-based investor and you're showing that you're the first commit and that the founders love you, getting a $250,000 allocation versus getting a million dollar allocation is not that much more difficult from the founder side. Um, it's a matter from the LP side, are you able to convince them that you can do this at scale, that they should give you more money? That's usually what I see as the bigger hurdle. Um, I'll, I'll give one story. So I had an individual, she came to me, she's in her young twenties and she uh, 
had never done investment, but wanted to. And she had, was able to complete four different SPVs. The first two, I kind of like coached her through what to tell LPs, how to do it. She was able to do four SPVs in a matter of six months, which is really fast for those that have never done it before. Um, and, and after that, she decided, you know, I, I feel like I have enough here to create a fund. And she started her first fund. Now it's small. It's only like a $2.5 million fund, but she was able to utilize that, those opening of doors as she got into um, meetings with LPs. Because they, as you meet with LPs, those doors are different. When, once you get in for investment, the door is a little bit more open for future investment. And then as you have two investments, the door is even more open to talk about funds. So that transition on the founder side is really easy in my mind. Um, easier, um, the LP side is where I see the bigger constraint. And that kind of pings into one question in the, in the audience here as well. How many LPs do you coordinate into an SPV? Uh, one, many, how many? Because um, it, it also comes down to a little bit of a wrangling of the investors. It's fun to do one with 30, but then you can do a second SPV with another 30 and another 30, you're suddenly doing 100 um, and then also another follow-up question to that, just for you to be able to brag how much multitasking you're able to do, how many SPVs are you running at the moment and, uh, and how many investors <laughs> in aggregate? Yeah, so um, typically an SPV, an SPV legally can have up to 99 LPs. Uh, if you can keep the, like from the assure side, I always think about frameworks. How do I make my SPVs more cost-effective? And so to Joe's point, like, so for me, I try to keep my SPVs under 20 uh, LPs if I'm under, you know, $600,000 of allocation, just because that's kind of a good number. Because the minute I go over 20 LPs, it kind of goes to a different pricing structure. Um, so typically, most SPVs have between five and 25 investors. Uh, it just depends on the structure. So sometimes... You know, I'll have a $250,000 check next to a $5,000 check. Uh, and that's the benefit of utilizing an SPV is you could hypothetically accept capital from a, a check size that wouldn't make sense otherwise. Um, but for me, I am uh, use, right now, I have close 24 deals this year. Um, 17 of those ones where I was bringing outside capital myself. Uh, and other ones, I was either coaching individuals and managing SPV on their behalf or helping founders consolidate their individual angels for no carry on those perspectives. Um, right now, I have 17 active SPVs. Uh, that's a little bit wide. That's more, I don't tell my angels about those. I tell my angels about three of them at a time. There, Those are mostly like my facilitation of other people or uh, helping founders run their own process. Um, so yeah, I've, I've managed about 350 individual angel LPs right now, and I'm tailoring which deals they see for their thesis uh, in most situations. So yeah, that's, it's kind of a uh, multitasking. Yeah. I would say that's quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I reviewed about 600 companies in the past two months and I'm constantly onboarding individual angels through a coordinated process. Um, and then the, the alignment is more a matter of like people ask the question around um, skin in the game, what structure, you know, that's, that's a great question. And for me, like I was 
it, once I got started, I committed to, to invest in my first 20 deals so that I could say, hey, there are no management fees, so I don't get anything for closing a deal. And I only have carry on the back end. So if I'm doing this to, for money, I have a really long game of making money in five to 10 years. And that would be not worth my time. I could make a lot more money doing other things uh, if that's uh, perspective. So yeah, that, that's what I, I believe. Now there are people, plenty of people charge management fees on SPDs. You just need to make sure that you are regulatory compliant, right? That's not my job or Assure's job to tell people what it's like to be a lawyer and what you need to fit into. Makes sense. That's really, I do love that model. It's all on the back end, just into a lot of them, which then, uh, you know, 24 this year, 17 live. How do you manage the investors on an ongoing basis? I think Mariah had a good question around like, do they have any say on when you liquidate a position? Is it, do you have to give them information, right? How do you manage the information flows across that level of number of entities and investors? And what does yeah. that look like? Yeah, so I find uh, SPVs are a little bit different from an LP reporting's perspective um, because every one of my uh, funds, each deal is a fund. That's what a special purpose vehicle is, a deal by deal fund. And each one of those is, has a different group of LPs. And so if I wanted to do LP reporting across uh, my, in an LP basis, it actually becomes pretty unmanageable. Um, so what I do is on a deal by deal basis, I provide the directly the founder updates of what's going on. We usually, I always, I most typically get information rights and all, in most scenarios get pro rata rights. So as we are progressing through those opportunities, I proportionally provide those opportunities to invest and those people, those LPs get updates of what's going on. And so I'm actually providing the direct relationship or direct uh, conversation um, around what's going on with the company. Um, So that's, that's my way of providing LP reporting and transparency. Um, And a lot of people really like it because they can actually take action when a founder has a specific ask. So I'm looking for an engineer that does this, or we would like to meet with customers that look like this, if you know any, that's the value of SPVs. That's why I believe SPVs will continue to grow is when you can provide a clean structure to mobilize accredited investors that have aligned incentives to help the company, you can truly make an impact on those companies. And so, yeah, institutions are fantastic and sometimes they add value but sometimes the type of value individuals can add is a little bit different, especially if they come from the industry or are passionate about what the founders do. What is your thinking around um, AngelList, um, yeah. the value that it provides? And it feels a little bit like you are a, a one-man AngelList uh, in a way, <laughs> bringing together these individual SPVs just like they are, but in a more automated way. Do you want to share a little bit more about what you're thinking around that platform? Yeah, Angelus is great. Um, they've done a fantastic job of marketing technology, mobilizing angels. I should clarify, like Assure built the back end of Angelus, right? So Assure for up until about a year and a half ago was the one structuring all of the legal entities that are special purpose vehicles, managing that, creating the bank account associated with it, validating wires, in that perspective. So that, that's important to understand. So someone asked, do I use Angels? No, I use Assure. So Assure has their own platform called Glassboard and um, working with them on version 2.0 of the technology and scaling those things. I'm really excited about what they're working on. And I, I came to Assure to convince them to hire me because 
I saw that every time I looked at an SPV, Assure was behind the curtain. Uh, whether it was Jason Calacanis and what he was doing, whether it was AngelList and what they were doing, whether it was uh, Venture University or Miami Angels or, or these different groups around the country that I trusted on a structuring standpoint, I saw Assure behind the scenes. And so I knew that they were the expert. Um, and so for me, I'm more of a, you know, I'm a customer of Assure and I utilize Glassboard and anybody that's wanting to set up an SPV, the key differentiators between the two is Assure is more, or Angelus is more of a marketing tool to say, hey, go to the link, check out everything about the company, and if you want to invest. And then, but you don't necessarily own your angels. You don't have the direct communication. Assure's platform is more about the direct communication with your LPs, that they're your LPs. Assure will never reach out to them to communicate with them around. Uh, unless it's a validating a wire or giving them tax information. Those, how you gauge interest is on your end. Some people use Zoom, some people use email, some people have an in-person meeting and angel groups. Um, that's kind of the key differentiator between those two groups. And so those that want to keep that relationship with their LPs, that's the differentiator. I don't see a great success of those that use an angel list to say, oh, I did five SPVs on AngelList because they don't actually know their LPs and they don't have trust with them. And so building that relationship is the key to building a track record to create a fund long-term is my perspective. But AngelList, I love, and AngelList and Assure work together on a regulatory basis to change a lot of things with the SEC on regulatory, the side letter, enabling individuals to receive care if they don't charge management fees was revolutionary for the industry and completely changed what is angel vesting today. And now Assure is moving on blue skies, trying to help states stop charging fees when you're setting up uh, an SPV. Because right now, blue sky fees are very technical. But if a state has an investor from New York, they'll say, hey, you owe us some money because we have an investor from New York or if you're from Florida. But states like Florida and, and Utah and Nevada are passing uh, regulations that state that they're no longer going to charge those fees for certain size SPVs, which is really impactful, lowering the cost to make it more efficient to consolidate angels. Makes sense. And then two rapid fire, uh, just brass tacks questions, and then we'll do breakout rooms. First one is how much does it cost? Like SPV all in, spin it up. What are the, what are the actual cost structure look like? If anybody down the phone wants to do it. And the second one, just you can tag team them because they're, they're ends related. Um, Charging management fees. I understand that there's some regulatory reasons why that might not be the best idea. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of those. Yeah, so the cost anywhere, if you're staying like in the rails, very clear, no customization, you're talking about four to 12,500, 4,000 to 12,500 for the cost, typically dependent upon size. Um, we're trying to make it more cost effective. Um, but if you're doing a big SPV, it's kind of caps out at like, um, 12,500 plus the administration costs, unless you're doing some customization there. Um, and then you max out at like 20 K if you're doing, so you could do an SPV of, you know, $30 million. We've done SPVs like as large as, uh, that. Um, and then the follow-up question was management fees. Management fees. Yeah. So, uh, I would point people to, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not the best to answer on a definitive here, but I'd point people to you know what it requires to be a fund manager and take management fees, registered investment advisor, as well as evaluating kind of broker dealer situation if that is applicable. 
So I, I would just say like, don't charge management fees. If you don't know what you're doing, that's if you are going to talk to a lawyer, there you go. Love it. All right. Well, we're going to uh, go into our, I guess, technically second breakout room session. A couple of quick housekeeping items. Um, first one, this isn't a pitch session, but it's a networking. So please do kind of stick to that and don't just sit there a pitch. Be kind to one another. And then, uh, and this is a big one. We don't uh, distribute a full participant list for privacy reasons. So if you see somebody you want to connect with, um, get their info there, get their digits, as they say. But we do have a Telegram group. If you've been a member of the Telegram group, we did have a ever so fun technical glitch where about half to two thirds of the Telegram members got booted. We're not entirely sure what happened, but if you uh, are unable to get in, let us know, or if you're no longer there, and check it out. Ayla, do you want to talk about breakout room formats and topics? Absolutely. So I'll pop you into rooms of about four or five people, and you'll have the opportunity to chat about all things SPVs. I think one of the questions that might be good to start with is, Yay or nay, what's been your experience so far? Has it been a, a good way of running it? Have a little bit of a track record or has it just been a dud and should have gone for the big fun from day one? So I'm going to pop you into rooms right now and we will see you back in about 10 minutes. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you had good conversations in the breakout rooms there. You know, one more kind of basic question for you and we'll, we'll pick it up from um, the, the chat here. So Ron has a question. How, how do you see angel groups and his actual questions? Do you have a vision on how the management of SPVs can migrate to engendering an angel group? So this is the alternative structure of we're going to do SPVs, build up a bit of a track record, but then that turn that in an angel group and monetize that way versus a fund. Is that something you've seen done fairly commonly or is it usually the other way around? An angel group starts doing SPVs to get to a fund. Yeah, I, that's an interesting Question. I think it's the other way. I think it's the first way that you stated that an individual is consolidating angels and and functioning in that structure. And then people are like, hey, look, I'm tired of uh, saying I want to invest in 15 deals over the lifespan. Can I just give you one big check and you allocate it for me? Right. For some individuals, that makes sense. It just depends on their current life stage. Um, the other is true. So I actually see a lot of I want to address, I see a lot of angel groups shifting towards the SPV uh, perspective because it creates a real process and it allows them to have a structure and it's an easier expe experience for the founder. So rather than having to manage with 15 different angels that all said yes from the angel group, individually signing docs, post-investment, it's a super headache for the founder. Uh, a lot of times these groups will set up an SPV function it as their process to say, look, we want our founders' lives to be easy. But also, oftentimes, if the angel group will consolidate, they will get more rights collectively than they would get individually, where collectively, if they're a 500k check, they could get information rights or pro rata rights because they're, a, you know, considered a majority investor in a, you know, not majority, but a, you know, a big enough investor at this seed or pre-seed stage. So I just wanted to address that just because I see that is a growing trend. Um, but usually if you're talking about preparing for track record, it's not, you're not going to convert an angel group into a, a fund in most situations. There are a few angel funds and they've done well to, to solve the problem I just talked about, the frequency of check writing. But most of the time it's GP focused. So whoever's the syndicator, which sometimes has a negative connotation, but 
I view myself as a GP, right? I treat my, what I do just like I would a fund manager in every deal I do. Now I actually have a, a very difficult time because I have to convince LPs about every deal I'm doing. So I can't sneak one in that I think is, is there. I, I legitimately have to make sure that I'm, you know, batting a hundred percent that it's going to have enough individual interest and that I'm showing and demonstrating that. Um, the one thing I don't like about the growing syndication world is it's becoming more marketing. And so people are like, this is the best deal ever. And I think that that's very bad for the ecosystem. I see that very prevalent on Angelus, just saying like, these are not the best deals ever. This is a high risk asset class that you are more likely to lose money than make money on one individual investment. But if you invest on a diversified portfolio, you start to see incremental, you start to see improvement of potential returns, but it's still about picking winners. And so I think being transparent is my policy. And I think it, hopefully it's a growing space to say, this is what's good about this deal. These are my concerns. Now, a syndicator is someone that gives the opportunity to individuals to invest. And so I think it's their responsibility to provide those two. Otherwise, you are providing investment advice and you technically don't apply with comply with the SEC's regulations of uh, charging management fees or investment advice. Those are the triggers to be considered a registered investment advisor. So like in my mind, I think a lot of people are violating those laws, but that's that's neither here nor there, right? You you need to convince and you want to get individuals to invest. So I'm yeah, I, I'm the anti-fund guy, not like I love funds. But like, I don't, I'm not going to have a fund or at least not publicly have a fund or a secret fund that invests into the SPVs. Right? And you know, one of the things that I'll expand on there that we, we, I've always found interesting, angel groups and funds, the people that are involved actually have very different priorities or reasons for being there. Angel groups, you go there because you want to hang out with entrepreneurs. Um, frankly, sometimes you're just there so you have good cocktail party conversation. But I like, oh, this is what I invested in, ever so humble brag. Whereas, you know, fund investors generally, like they don't really want that, right? They want the diversified portfolio. They're looking for absolute returns. Like those are the things that are more of a driver for them. So it is, it is, it is, it's, it's actually reasonably rare in my experience, albeit limited, where you have really active angels who are also actively putting more capital into funds. So it's a, it's a thing. But either way, Isla, are you ready with rooms and topics and things of that nature? Very ready. I'll pop you into rooms right now. And the topic is what is an SPV you wish you had spun up, a deal that slipped through your fingers because you weren't able to, to capture that. Um, I'll pop you into rooms now and uh, we'll see you back here in about 10 minutes. Welcome back, everyone. Again, hope you had some good chats, good chin wags. So we're going to wrap up here at the top of the hour. We'll try to end it within a minute or two. So one last super practical question from Joe Malam for you, Landon. And as a reminder, you're probably muted. Um, QSBS, what is that? How is it the best tax thing on the planet in the, in the VC world? And how does that, and does it interrelate with what you do on an SPV basis? Do investors benefit from it? Just riff to your heart's content. Yeah. So everybody responding here is going to say QSBS is the best thing an investors ever need to understand. Uh, basically allowing you to have tax free potential gains under a certain valuation, um, and the way that it functions is the same way it would function with a fund. Um, so oftentimes there's certain uh, standards in understanding a fund, whether it's 70% of the portfolio qualifying under such. Um, but the benefit of SPVs is if 
you're investing into one deal in most scenarios. There are multi-asset SPVs, but most scenarios an SPV is created, it's investing into one entity, and therefore those gains are do qualify. Now, on the look-through entity, on the LP gains, um, they would also qualify for QSBS, which is really impactful. So said another way, if you're investing early, it's a really good thing to understand what QSBS is because you can get tax-free capital gains, which is awesome. Um, now, again, talk to a tax lawyer, not just a lawyer this time, this is a tax lawyer. <laughs> More expensive. The complexity gets, uh, it is there. Um, but in reality, it, it, this is this changes the game because you're always doing the evaluation. Yeah, section 1202, sorry for those that I didn't talk about it. Um, you can look it up, SEC section 1202. Um, but it's game changing because when you think about venture, you're always evaluating what's my upside potential. Uh, obviously, downside risk is zero in most situations. Um, and you know what? What are the likelihood uh, of each of those results coming? So, whenever you're looking at it, make sure you're looking at those perspectives. And I truly am an advocate for SPVs. Uh, if you want to do one, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to coach. Uh, I believe that, that when we get activate more accredited individuals to invest. It is good for everybody. It is great for VCs. It is great for angels. And if they're thoughtful in their approach, it can be really helpful for those emerging managers that are preparing to build a track record. Um, and then on, on a high note there, and then as a clarification or look it up because it's fascinating, but the QSBS, I think it's like the greater of $10 million in capital gains or 10 times your investment, right? Yeah. It is not a trivial amount we're talking about here. Um, and it's at the federal level. So, but that kind of wraps it as it were. So a couple things, Telegram group, the link is in the chat already. It will also be in the follow on. And in case you guys started or joined late, we did have a technical issue. So you might no longer be in that group if you thought you were. Diffuse Tap in real life, Chicago 13th. I am ostensibly hosting, or at least I'll be there. We'll see. Um, and then next week we have Diffuse Asset Allocation strategies going a little bit, uh, or sorry, digital asset allocation strategies. Um, we're going to talk a little, uh, Diffuse, by the way, uh, we're having a hard push right now into digital assets with a product line called Diffuse Digital. So this is in line with some of the interesting strategies we've, we've come across there. Um, outside of that, Isla, is there anything else, talking points I was supposed to touch on here? That is it. Just everybody, please mark your calendar if you're in Chicago for a couple of weeks from now on the 13th to join Kenny for pizza and beer. So that'll be exciting. Um, check out the newsletter tomorrow. It'll have all details in it. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for joining. And Landon, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing some of your wisdom and everybody for coming out and uh, joining up. Thanks, Landon. Right. See you. Thank you. Guys, have great ones. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.